In Titus 2, older women are commanded to teach what is good so they can help younger women love their husbands and children. On today's show, you'll hear from older women who will share timeless, relevant biblical wisdom and personal, profound life experiences to help answer your questions and teach what God says is good so you can be the wife and mother you were created to be. Welcome to another episode of Older Women Likewise. Hello, viewers, and welcome back to Older Women Likewise. Tonight, we have a special guest with us. Help me, Isla. We have Dana Burke. How are you, Dana? I'm good. Glad to be here. Yes. (laughs) Anything special going on in your life that you can tell us about? Uh, Two new twin grandbabies born last week. So great, excuse me, great grandbabies. grandbabies. Yeah, so we're excited. We'll get to see them, Lord willing, next week. Oh, wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Are you at home tonight? Yes. Are you talking to me? Dana's at home. What about you, Isla? No, the, I don't have curtains like this. And the, the little pool things, you know, those are a, a dead giveaway that that's I'm at a Wyndham Resort in Nashville. Dana and I are about, what, half an hour away, maybe? Yeah, Dana? about half an hour. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, so we're in Nashville, and on our way, we're getting ready to start on our trip going out west. I don't think we'll bump into one another, though, you and I. So, <laughs> well, what's the itinerary, Isla? Where might you be? Um, we are going through Fort Scott, Kansas, planning to worship with the church there on Sunday. Then we're going on to uh, ultimately Pagosa Springs for uh, a night or two, and then Taos in New Mexico and Arizona, a week in Sedona, a week in San Antonio, a week visiting the kids and friends and then Destin, and we're going to be gone about almost five weeks, so it's Uh, a a good long trip. Yes. Is it pronounced Taos? Yeah, I love the art, the art around there. You must stop at the Classical Gasoline Museum. It's fascinating. Anyway, (laughs) I I'm recording from Tucson, Arizona, which happens to be the place where my life started. I wasn't born here, but I, my parents managed the dude ranch on Tonga Verde Road, and I was conceived in Tucson, Arizona, so that's way too much information tonight, but that's where, it's a very special place to me. That's where I'm filming from um, tonight, and let me know if my road noise, Isla, you're the boss, if you hear too much road noise. Okay. All right. So So tonight we're talking about, we've been talking all month, right? About sin and repentance, sin and repentance. So there was one aspect of this that we did not want to skip. And that was the aspect of what God says can be effective in helping one another out of sin um, and what those elements might look like in action. Because the truth is, we are all at risk of needing this kind of help. Right, First Corinthians 10, 12 says, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Other verses that will um, apply to what we're talking tonight uh, will include James 5, 19 through 20 that says, my brothers, 
if any among you, anyone among you who wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that whoever turns back the sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So that certainly points out the um, reason why we're talking about this. There is so much at stake. And so we want to be effective workers in this. And really, I couldn't think of a more ultimate expression of love than, uh, or the more, or a more ultimate expression of doing unto others as you would have them do unto you than to, as James 22 and 23 says, snatch some out of the fire, right? Snatching people out of the fire. If I was in a burning building, I would hope that you guys would come and snatch me from the fire and you would be my <laughs> best friends for doing that. So yeah, these verses will play into what we are going to talk about tonight. And we're going to let Dana um, kick off these ideas and what's been on her mind um, in her preparation for this conversation. So what do you have for us, Dana? Well, I, you know, I, I love that verse that you just talked about, about snatching one out of the fire, you know, and there's, there's, uh, a little more that goes with that that says, you know, but to some you you take carefully. What does it say? How does it say? I've got it here somewhere. Have mercy on some who yes, are deaf. Mercy, yes. And that's kind of where I'd like to start tonight. Okay. Um, and I and I want to just look at some passage the passages that I think will kind of set the 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 discussion the foundation for the discussion and i'd like to start with some instructions from the lord from jesus in matthew chapter 7 uh, matthew chapter 7 are verses these are verses we're all probably familiar with um and and i want to begin in verse one of that and i'm reading from the esv it okay. says judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that's in your eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Um, and then there's a passage in Ezekiel. I think there's this little gem there in chapter three, verse 10 through 11. And I particularly like the way the NLT reads it or renders it. God's giving instructions to the prophet. And he says to him, son of man, let all my words sink deep into your own heart first. Listen to them carefully for yourself. Then go to your people in exile and say to them, this is what the Lord, the sovereign Lord says, do this, whether they listen to you or not. But I love how he tells and reminds the prophet, you let the, let my words sink into your own heart first and you listen to them carefully for yourself. And I think that is something we need to think about. And we can connect that back to what Jesus said. You can't help someone else till you help yourself. You get yourself right and on a level ground. Then I want us to talk about in Psalm chapter 51, another passage that most of us are familiar with, where David is pleading with God for mercy concerning the sin that he had committed with Bathsheba. 
And I want us to particularly notice verses 10 through 13. And again, I'm going to read from the ESV. David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And then notice what David says in the next verse, verse 13. He said, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. David recognized he wasn't any good to help someone else till he got his own self right. And I think those are some powerful examples for us before we go to get somebody to straighten somebody else out. I've got to first look, look to myself. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verses 12 through 16, the Apostle Paul shared some of his own sinful conditions that he had been in prior to being extended the mercy and grace of God's forgiveness. And here he says, I thank him who's given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Mm. That's that's a powerful thing and and a at a position of vulnerability that Paul would say, I'm the, the foremost sinner. Uh, mm-hmm. I think some of the verses say, I'm the chief of sinners. Um, he yeah. said, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul makes the point that his sin and his redemption would be an example for others. And that's what I I, want to be. And I know that's what you ladies want to be. We want to be examples. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to be vulnerable and I'm going to have to be humble. Um, He further exposes this vulnerability, I think, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, where he states, For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. And I'm just going to skip that parenthetical phrase. He says that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share or I may share with them in its blessings. You know, as Christians, I hope we recognize the incredible blessing we have of redemption and salvation. But I also hope we recognize that I've been redeemed. I've been bought back because I was a sinner. 
And, mm -hmm. and Paul says he's the chief of sinners, but if I'm the person I should be, I probably sometimes think I am. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's, it's the, the, the effectively helping one another out of sin starts with humility and vulnerability. Um, I think these are the foundations of that. And at the same time, I think these are two things that most of us struggle with deeply. Right. And being willing to be vulnerable. Cindy, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, we struggle with it because we're always, as we read verses like, hey, take out the beam before you try to get out the mode in a brother's eye, we're assessing ourselves. And if, if you think about it, though, every single person that has ever snatched someone out of the fire, they, of course, were not perfect themselves, right? So we, I think I want, I want to agree with everything you've said and add to it that let's be real careful, too in addition to what you've said of not saying, Hey, I can't help this person out of sin because I'm not morally perfect myself, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. right. yeah. but, but you're right. It's much more persuasive to the person that we're trying to help. If we come to them being like, I can totally relate to struggling. I can, you know, I can identify with you on some levels, you know, right. and, but well, you know, piggybacking, on some comments that Heather Wells made last week in the program on grace, you know, she posed the question, you know, are we a judgmental or a grace filled people? I think she said a congregation, but, but I'm going to say people. And I think that's, that's a super important point because if I understand where I've been, then I can understand where you are. And I can understand what you can have. Um, she also reminded us that that we're still a work in progress. Mm -hmm. um, and and I thought that was that was such a good point. And then she she made the point that Hebrews four sixteen says we come to the throne of grace in a time of need, not a time of perfection. And we can help people see you don't you don't have to be perfect to come to God. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. And I can help because I'm not perfect, right. but I know I'm saved. I know I'm redeemed. You can have that too. And we can come as imperfect together before God. Um, and I think that's, that's something that, that we can all relate to. Um, and we need to remember that those who need help, are like I once was when I needed help and probably like I am a lot of times even now. And sometimes, and, and as Heather said, sometimes that means I'm ungodly. Sometimes that means that we're enemies of God at the moment without strength. And I thought those were, were such powerful things and we can connect that with what we're talking about today. I can help you because I'm there too. Mm -hmm. And and I I think that's such a such a fundamental thing um, and the humility that we need to have and the the vulnerability we need to be willing to share. I think we've talked y'all talked about those kinds of things right. on the program before. Mm -hmm. um, 
I think that's very important. Looks like we lost Cindy. We lost Cindy. She's out in the desert, you know. There's not a lot <laughs> yeah. of signal out there. So Well, since she's not here, let, let's just kind of depress this point a little bit further. Let's go over to 1 Samuel, and you don't have that scripture up. Okay. But if you've got a Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. And I'd like to take a moment and look at Abigail. Um one of my favorite women in the scriptures, there's only this one chapter that addresses the story of Abigail, but I think she's an example of what we're talking about, helping someone uh, to resist sin, to mm -hmm. not get into sin, helping someone out of sin. Um, and in that chapter, and you might remember well, let's just read. It says there was a man in Maon who's in chapter verse two, whose business was in Carmel. He was very rich. He had 3000 sheep and a thousand goats and he was shearing sheep in Carmel. Um, and then in verse three, it says, now the name of the man was Nabal and the name of his wife was Abigail. And I want us to notice what it says about her. It says the woman was discerning and beautiful but the man was harsh and badly behaved. I love that. It was badly behaved. badly behaved. And David had had his men in the wilderness and they had been protecting a lot of the sheep herders of Nabal. And they had been, in fact, they say at one point that they were like a wall of protection for them. And they lost no sheep. They lost none of their goats. And David's men had protected them. So when Nabal is shearing the sheep, they would have a huge feast. And they had much food to feed the shearers. And so David felt that that there would be no problem for them to go to this very wealthy man who they had been a guard to his men and ask for some of that food to feed his men who were in the wilderness. And this was while David was fleeing from Saul and having to hide in the wilderness. So he sent men to Nabal and Nabal was very ugly and he rejected them. And in fact, in verse 14, the men say that, that he railed on them. That's a very strong word. He had been very ugly to them. In, in verse 11, David gathered, I mean, verse 13, David gathered up 400 of his men and took them and swore that by the next day, there would be no male left in the household of Abigail, I mean, of Nabal's, because he was so angry at how he had been treated and how he'd been humiliated. Because Nabal acted like he'd never even heard of David. Yeah. And you notice that it says in verse 17 that one of the servants, after, after all of this had happened, one of the servants came to, to Abigail and said in verse 14, Therefore know this and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against your master and against all your house. And he is such a worthless man that no one can talk to him, talking about her husband. So here we've got a discerning woman and her, her servant says, you need to think about how are you going to get around this? What are you going to do? And, and in the meantime, David has got this army of 400 men. He is armed, headed to destroy this household. And then as, as he's approaching, approaching Nabal's home, Abigail gathers up her servants, loads donkeys, 
with tons of food and meets David, which was the thing that David wanted in the first place. And notice in verse 23 of chapter 25, it says, when Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey, fell forth David on her feet and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. She was willing to take all the blame. I always say she was the great groveler. She knew how to grovel. She knew how to set up the situation. But she humbly bowed before him, prostrate on the ground, and begged him to listen to her, to blame her, and, and to not go through with this. And then notice what she says. Let, um, let my Lord regard this, not regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, Nabal his name is, and his follies with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men on my, of my Lord whom you sent. And yet she just said, put all the blame on me. She admits, I didn't see them, but I'm willing to take the blame. Mm -hmm. And then she says in verse 26, now then, my Lord, and this is this is a key verse. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving your own hand. Now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. That was her whole point. Mm-hmm. Don't sin. Don't bring this on the on on this house. That you that, don't bring this revenge. Let God revenge Himself. Yeah, and that's the whole point. We don't need to take vengeance, and we need to he- help each other not to sin. It's good for us, but it's good for them, and that's what she was doing here. And she she did it. Um, she didn't blame Nabal. She admitted it was his fault, but she was willing to take the blame. Right. She was willing to be humble and do that. And notice what David says in verse 33. Blessed be your discretion and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. Mm-hmm. And that's what, what, needs to be our goal is to help others to catch their sin before they do it. And, and I think as Paul said, I became all things to all men that I might save some, you know, we don't like to, to take the blame for things. We don't like to grovel, but Abigail is a tremendous example because she was willing to lower herself in order to protect her people in order to save David from sinning. Mm-hmm. And she was blessed greatly because of that. And I think this is, this is a grace filled woman who exemplified mm-hmm. that extreme humility and vulnerability that we all need to have if we want to reach and help others and keep them from sinning. So and, now you're back with us. There yeah. she's back. Well, yeah. I, I think that we can also, when someone comes to us, if we will aim to be like King David and receive that with that humility and realize what it took, the courage it took and everything to come to that, that is ideal. And so tonight as we're talking about like specific ways to bring someone back, 
um, you've made some good points around humbleness and not being judgmental and really being a light, like not compromising, remaining strong and found yourself, you know, because it says in Galatians 6, 1, you who are spiritual, restore them. So that is the first step. Abigail was able to do what she did because she was a spiritual woman. Right. And so when we also are spiritual in the way that God defines that, we can do much good in this area. Isla, did you have any other responses? Um, Heather Wells, our Heather says, our, Abigail's, our Heather says, Abigail's humility is beautiful. And that is so true that uh, she was doing what she could to mm -hmm. help, you know, to save her family, but also to help Nate, I'm sorry, to help David not right. to do this great sin. And I think that's a wonderful segue for uh, the, what we'd like to continue speaking about is what are some ways that you have been effective in bringing a sinner back to the Lord? So, um, and, and, you know, we each have through the years been involved with trying to help people to come back to the Lord. And we're hoping that our viewers will have some ways that they have either themselves been effective or have seen others to be effective. Um, Cindy, you have some things to share? I do have some things and I feel pressing about it because I don't trust my phone tonight. I feel like it's going <laughs> to turn off on minutes. So if I don't get anything else in, I want to get this in in case I pop out. And so that is, there's always to me, as I've helped people throughout the decades um, that are in self-destruction mode and need to be snatched from the fire, it seems like there's about two or three Three things that I often notice are at the root of the problem. And the first one is that they're not 100% sure that there really is a God. That's one of them. They're not 100% sure there really is a God. That's why they're taking this risk, right. you know, and getting involved in these things. Number two, maybe they don't um, really believe or understand um, and see that the Bible is actually God's communication for man and the standards that they're going to be judged by. Because if you are in the word and reading what it says, you would have to reject that as being from God in order to live with yourself um, and walk away from him. And then the third thing that I've noticed often that's at play is um, they are not 100% sure, sure that they have an eternal soul that could be locked into eternity or into a destiny that's un changeable and so to get to the root of this problem like we're going to need foundational evidences that object lay out all that foundation for those realities of god's existence the bible's authenticity and there really is an eternity and we will stand before him in judgment so i just on a practical level i wanted to put this out tonight for folks that tuned in tonight to that are having people in that people in their lives they're trying to help them back out of sin that their hearts are broken and they're wanting to bring them back i want to just throw out a few foundational things that i think maybe can help you address those very very root elements that often are at play uh, one of them is um, a bible uh, that's put out by apologetics press called defending the faith study Bible. so 
it's available at Apologetics Press, but throughout this whole Bible, it's all the evidences, um, the pre-scientific knowledge that establishes the scriptures and such, um, and evidences for God's existence, so that you can help them get to the root of that challenge of, yes, there's a God, yes, there's an eternity, and yes, the Bible's his word. The only other evidence I wanted to put out there was just, if you go to Amazon, and type in Doy Moyer and look for his book, Mind Your Faith, or uh, the other uh, evidences books that he's put out there, Foundations for Growing Christians. He's teaching these classes to the young people that are going to Florida College this year. And it's a, uh, and from here on out, and it's it's a very uh, faith-building uh, approach. So I just wanted to get to the heart of the matter before my phone wigged out and so Cindy, I got, Cindy yeah. can I can I jump in here uh, the you mentioned apologetics press there's another book that I think is powerful along this line that they put out that's called and I cannot remember the exact phrase but it's something along the line of how do I know the bible is the word of god mm -hmm. and it's you know and and I buy that book a dozen at a time because we give them out we have given them out for many years um and it and it it is you know it's probably written technically for about a junior high school okay. level but but it is so well done and it and it's enough information to to build a good foundation of the evidences of how i can trust that this bible i have is the word of god without getting into all the minutia that i don't mm -hmm. it's this thick that i don't I don't want to read. And yeah. I highly recommend that. And again, it's with apologetics press. So, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I think your point is well taken. There are so many now who don't even, where I was telling Isla earlier before we started that we're studying with a young couple that's probably 29 and 30. And she did not even know who Adam and Eve were. Yeah. Wow. In fact, she told me the first time that she and I visited that I pray to I pray to um, Mother Earth, no, to to the universe, to the universe, in case there isn't a God, just in case, so I don't miss it. it. Yeah. And and I, you, you're exactly right. And we find more and more of that. There are people who don't know um, mm -hmm. that there is a God, and. Well Maybe we've got, we got to establish that first. Right. Absolutely. And we might start establishing that by asking them a question like, how can you know that there's no God? If you're going to bet on that, how can right. you know there's no God without you yourself being omniscient? Because you already know so very, very little about all the things that there are to know. And what if the information you don't have is the information that proves his existence? Yeah. You'd have to be omnipresent in order to prove there's no God because um, you're not everywhere. So you can't you can't do a thorough search and say, yep, I've looked everywhere. I'm omnipresent. So there's well, just either position takes faith. And, yeah. you know, which one has more evidence? And I yeah. think that's where we start. And so let's look at my the evidence I see for God. And then yeah. we'll look at the evidence you see for no God. And, and I believe there's a much heavier weight on the evidence that there is a God. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, and the fact that some people are like, yeah, there's a God. I'm not sure, so sure about this Bible thing. You know, there's, there's so much pre-scientific foreknowledge. Like, how does the Bible know thousands and thousands of years right. before science does that the earth is a circle and that it hangs on yeah. nothing? And this stuff and is- the stars are numberless. Yeah. Which so we now know they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I think, I think too, when we talk to people about how, so, so maybe there is a God, then, then if they accept that, then what if there is a God? And that's why I always start. What if there is a God? And mm -hmm. if there is a God and this is his word, then what are those implications? Mm -hmm. And, and it claims to be his word. And so let's, Let's investigate that. That's where I go then and recommend this other book. But mm -hmm. we talk about the evidences that there is a God. And then if there is a God and this is his word and can be trusted, do you understand the implications of that? Right. That, that I'm going to say, but I don't care what he says. And either, either the word is his word or it's not his word. It can't be just the part I like and the part I don't like. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I think that's, that's the, the bad challenge them. Yeah, there are some people that go back into sin and they totally believe there's a God and they totally believe that the Bible's his word and that they are, they believe that they will live on eternally in an unchangeable existence based on that. So what are you guys' ideas for the people that are kind of in that category? How do we how do we help those kinds of people come back to God? How do we snatch them from the fire? What can we do to bring them back into relationship with God? I think a really important thing is to be strong in what you know the Bible to teach, uh, what you understand. You know, when you're looking at the Bible, instead of saying, well, I think or I'm pretty sure or I guess. It's this is what the Bible teaches. This is what I need to do. This is what I'm doing. And I encourage you to do this. We rarely want to go from one sinking ship to another one. If a person is not sure they've, they've left the Lord, uh, they're just kind of out there doing their own thing. And they're just not sure of what life should be. If we're all wishy-washy, well, I think this is a pretty good way and this seems right to me. And I think we're just one sinking ship to another. You know, we need to be a rock. We need to be strong, unapologetic. We don't need to say, well, I, you know, I think this is pretty good. But that person, like the prodigal son, when he came to himself and realized he was in a sinking ship, he wanted to go where there was solid rock. He yeah. went back home where he knew that his father knew what was right and was going to do right by him. We just need to be sure that we don't apologize for the truth or yeah. uh, that we don't, again, not wishy-washy because hardly anybody goes toward, well, let me find the weakest thing and attach myself to that. We want to attach ourselves to strength. So um, not in ourselves. I don't mean the strength no. of ourselves, but the strength of, of the Bible. As you said, there is a God. He is the one that we need to look to. So 
you know, show that, show the strength of God to the person who needs to come back to him. You know, and I think, I think the, the point you're making is, is I need, I need to be the consistent person who's always doing what I say I'm going to do and what I believe. And, and I have to live that life in front of people every day, year in and year out. And what they do with it today may not be what they do with it in five years from now. But if, 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 as you said, you know, I don't want to go to the weak person, but someday when, when they, when they do want to know an answer, when they do want to know what I should do, who are they going to look to? They're going to look to the ones who have stuck it out no matter what we're, we're studying the book of Job in our Wednesday night class. And, and I think, you know, that's such a powerful thing because he was consistent through everything he went through. And that's, that's what we have to be. Mm -hmm. Life is going to throw us all kinds of things, but we have to be, we have to be solid all the way through. And then when people are in that situation, I have, first off, I have, if you will, and I don't mean this arrogantly, but I have the moral authority to go to them and say, this isn't what God wants you to do. Mm -hmm. And, and I also hopefully will have their respect. So they will look to me mm -hmm. and I can help them. Mm -hmm. And I think that, but I can't do that. Like you say, Isla, if I'm wishy-washy and all over right. the place. Heather Wells put a good comment for us. A lived life is the loudest sermon. Yes. I think that's exactly what you're saying is that, right. you know, we as, as the Christian is faithful and lives the truth, then that is a, a, a loud sermon of what, what Christianity looks like and what this person should be like. And if I may, uh, Diana Hayes had a comment she, in terms of the how-to of approaching someone, she said, I find it is better to write a letter to them than to confront them in person. I'm not nearly as nervous this way. So true. I, I have to agree with that one. They can take their time in reading the spirit of the letter and know my concern. I think that's a very good practical way to approach someone. I have found very rarely do you say, you know, to someone's face that that, that here's there's something that they're wrong at? I mean, Nathan David's story doesn't happen much where, uh, yep, that's me. Most of us immediately right. want to defend ourselves. Right. Cindy, what do you think? Well, yes, I think it's a very good idea. And I think one application to what Tina said of being all things to all people is kind of thinking about what approach would this person most respond to, right? Uh -huh. Right. So if you're an intimate friend, you probably want maybe, uh, and you have a warm relationship face-to-face, -face, maybe. But I've done, I've used that technique as well um, of writing. And I like it because I know I'm not going to be exploded. That's one thing. Because a lot, sometimes there's controversy. The other thing at play here is that it would be very wise for you that every single thing you ever put in writing, make sure it's readable by the whole world. Yes. Okay, make so sure it's readable by the whole world because you never know what it's going to be the history of what you wrote down. 
But yeah, I think it helps you form your thoughts. It gives them an element of privacy. It gives them time to read and reread. And yeah, I do. It would be an approach that I would appreciate. Mm -hmm. I would appreciate that if that was the pro approach. And they'll know when you get, maybe you do get together in person after that. Um, and if you do, no matter what the situation, prayer, right? So if there is a God, before you go to have a difficult conversation with someone in sin, pray that God opens their heart. Pray for a soft, receptive heart. Pray that he will give you the words you need that would touch their heart. And if things go really, really well and they're receptive, pray together yes. and before you part ways. Because that's the other thing. It's that people are going to respond more when they know that your heart goes out to them. You deeply are attached to them and love them and want the best for them. And that is the only motivation that, you know, would bring you to have such a challenging conversation with someone. You know, one of, one of the points you made, and I think it's just worth emphasizing, is, is thinking about spent spending some time and thought about how I'm going to approach this person. And this is not something to do rashly or off the top of your head. We need, we need to spend time in prayer to God and we need to spend, spend time in thought and preparation. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the servant said, said to Abigail, think about, you know, you need to think about, consider what you're going to say. Um, and the Bible makes the point she's a discerning woman and 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 David make your your discretion. And I think we that that is worth a lot. We need to think about be discreet in how we approach people. And and, you know, the passage that talks about um, snatching them out or, or with others using mercy and they're everybody's different and other, every circumstance is different and yeah. everything is different and every person is different. And there are those that are about to walk off the cliff and we need to grab them. Yes. Quickly. There's times you're right, Dana. There's times when you have, you have some time to really organize your thoughts and do the best that you can to articulate exactly what they need to hear. There's other times, like when there's a fire that's broken out, right. Uh, a lot of sometimes like it's now or never it's happening right, right now. and love says something love right. says something. so yeah it's different situations right. for sure. um but yeah treating people the way you want to be treated the most gentle approach is the one that's often the best to be opted for but when you were saying like there's all kinds of people and there's different approaches that will touch them i was thinking of this one friend we have when he was he had gone into sin and he, and people had tried to gently reach out to him, but he had some uncle or something. Where, and then that guy said, now this is unique. But to this guy, he's like, are you going to keep being a fool the rest of your life? <laughs> he, he hadn't just like <laughs> what he needed, but yeah. they had decades of rapport. He respected them. This, I think it was an uncle. I can't remember, but almost never is that going to be appropriate. Right. <laughs> But for him, it was. And so yeah. sometimes you never know, but often it's the most gentle. Uh, well, I'm reminded, I'm reminded of, of the incident in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when the man was living with his father's wife 
And the church had been tolerant, exceedingly right. tolerant. And uh -huh. Paul was like, you need to, you need, you know, you need to remove yourselves from him. You need to be done with this and, and, and get out of this. Um, and, and he said, you know, remove yourself from this and you need to deliver him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. I mean, yeah. that's snatching him out of yeah, the snatching. You know, but he says you need to do it for the destruction of the flesh and so that you can save his soul. Right. And then in the next book, we find the other approach with the same person. Now, uh -huh. you know, the 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 ostracization, the the shunning has been mm -hmm. has been appropriate, it's been well done, but now you right. need to love him and uh -huh. comfort him because uh -huh. Satan is not. Un, you know, he, he Satan has his devices and we need to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it it depends on the circumstances. And there are times that we need to throw them into <laughs> snatch them out of the fire. Yeah, snatch them out. That's and right. but then there are other times that and then that very person that we snatched out of the fire, Lord willing, there will be the time that we will love them and be gentle with them. Mm -hmm. We need to be discerning, and and mm -hmm. and I'm I'm also reminded when Nehemiah was put on the spot before the king, at that moment, and and the king says to him, "What do you want?" As he was wanting to go back to Jerusalem, he he says, "And I said a prayer, and then I answered the king." Right. That wasn't that Nehemiah got down on his knees and took thirty minutes to to right. pray to God. That means right. he said this little, "Lord, help me." And then went on and yeah. we, we can do that. We can, we can ask God, give me the words mm -hmm. in the spur of the moment when, when we are snatching someone out of the fire, but we always need to be going to God with in prayer about this. Right. Mm -hmm. oh, um, sure. Heather, Heather, our Heather uh, <laughs> gave us uh, another comment. She says, first Thessalonians five and 14 gives good guidance on how to interact, to warn, to comfort, or uphold, being patient with all. And, mm -hmm. you know, that patience is so important. Another thing I was thinking of was quite often that we fail to listen to that person who has left the Lord. We think we understand and we know all about their situation when we need to take some time before we maybe or as we're talking to them to listen to what they they think is the problem or why did they leave why have they decided not to continue to follow the lord and and uh, make sure that we understand what it is that's bothering them cindy i know you were talking about people not believing in god i've known so often of people trying to bring somebody back to the lord when for the person who has left, it's like trying to get them to come back to 4-H. They, you know, it's just like a club and they don't get it because they don't understand about God and obedience. They've, they've lost that. They had it, but they've lost it. And so we have to listen and find out what it is that they're concerned about. Right. What other right. thoughts do you have, Cindy? Well, and if it's something where they're having a problem in the relationship with someone, you know, mm -hmm. like 
one that they've had confrontation with. I think I was listening to a Hal Hammond podcast today, and they had men there that were discussing about the value of when two parties are in conflict of getting them together just for conversation and when they can start to see why this other person seems to have an entirely different perspective of a, a conversation or even a belief or something the value of talking that through and, and once you, those two people have heard from one another the hearts can often soften and they can be like i can see so clarifications can be made People that are gone back into sin are rewriting history. And if, yeah. if accurate, if they can kind of be put back on track of actually here's here's why I said this and why I thought that, you know, here's what God says on this or that. You know, the goal is to have them soften their own hearts and so that they desire to come back to God. You know, one one other one other point I'd like to add before we close. I know we're getting close, but yeah. It, this is all about relationship. Wow. And and if I'm not building relationships, it's very hard for me to then help someone out of sin. And, you know, there, there's the saying that I can tell anybody anything as long as they know I love them. Mm-hmm. And that if, if we have no relationship, and I know sometimes we have to deal with people and we have no relationship, but... I'm, if I don't, I, that's what the church, that's what the family of God is about. And hopefully, even those outside the family of God, we can't help them if we don't have a relationship mm-hmm. with them. That's so true. Really good point. And, and something that we need to work on constantly right. uh, is to have that proper relationship. Uh, next week, uh, Cindy and Heather and I are going to continue a discussion that Cindy and Heather started some time ago uh, to relate some Bible examples of those who helped themselves and others out of sin and some who didn't that uh, just refused to obey God or refused to repent of their sins. And so uh, that'll be up on next week uh, on Thursday at eight o'clock Eastern. And we encourage you to join us next week for that. In the meantime, be sure to watch Answering Religious Error on Tuesday evenings at eight o'clock Eastern, uh, where the men are are giving some wonderful information for men and for women from God's word. And on Wednesdays at noon, uh, they also answer Bible questions. Uh, So send them your questions uh, you can send them to answeringreligiouserror.com, not dot, dot com. What is it? Info questions uh, for us, questions at uh, older women likewise. Oh, oh, I have an echo. So, sorry about that. Technical problems, excuse me. <laughs> On um, Monday through Friday, there is a podcast. This program makes a podcast, so do the Answering Religious Errors, but there's a daily answer podcast. Mark Dunnigan, uh, Cindy's husband, is doing this podcast. Wonderful to listen to. Uh, It's not too long, so you get a good lesson, really compact, and it's just really great, and we encourage everybody to listen to that podcast as well. So 
Thank you so much, Dana, for being with us uh, this evening. It's just always a pleasure to be, with, to be you. with you. Thank you so much. And uh, so we will say good night and uh, end our program. Uh, and uh, so, again, thanks a lot. And Cindy, it's good to see you. We'll see you next time. Good night. Good night.